Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Lecture, and I'm not too familiar with that realm. I've heard a few names here and there, and I've heard about a few uh, mistakes. You all know about the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It's supposed to be a great you know, monument. It's more famous for the mistake that was made And I was reading about some other mistakes that were made. There's a building in Boston. It's called the John Hancock Tower. And it was made in the 70s. It's uh, 60 stories tall. Um, It's not as tall as some of the skyscrapers in New York. But in New England and in uh, Boston and in Connecticut and Rhode Island, it's the tallest building there. And it's been the tallest building for 40 years. And it's interesting because in 1977, it it was receiving awards Uh, for its architecture and some different things. The American Institute of Architects presented it with a National Honor Award, and and, uh, the idea of it was minimalism. And so the entire building is just made of glass. You know, you see that nowadays, a lot of newer buildings, you know, the skyscrapers, the the entire facade, everything is glass, but it's a little bit of a newer idea. And so the building was basically all glass, every single part of the building that you could see was basically just a sheet of glass, and uh, so it looked very stunning. It looked very uh, unique, very different, and uh, definitely attracts attention. There were a number of problems that occurred during the construction of it, but there was one that uh, particularly drew my attention. The problem was these window panes would randomly detach themselves from the building and fall to the ground. That kind of seems like a big problem to me. And it was something of not just a one-time occurrence, it kept happening. It was so bad that any time the winds would go above 45 miles an hour in the city, they would have to shut down the neighborhoods around the building for fear that more glass would come falling down. And they discovered later on what it was that was causing these 500-pound pieces of glass to fall from the sky. The type of glass that they used, the design of the glass, and uh, the way that the building was built would cause it to kind of oscillate. It would twist, and it would shake, and and, uh, it would cause the glass to not be able to stick to the building that tension would cause it to pop off and it would fall to the ground. They had to replace all 10,000 panels of glass with something different. I was looking at this one illustration of some different buildings and things like that, and and one of them had uh, a, a little caption that said, Lesson learned. Lesson learned. Little factors have big implications on buildings as large as skyscrapers. Little factors have big implications on buildings as large as skyscrapers. This morning, we're going to be taking a look at the architect of the church. We're going to take a look at the designer of the church. Because you want a good designer, amen? You want the right architect. You want a designer who knows that there's not going to be any mistakes. 
that there's not going to be 500-pound pieces of glass just popping off the side of a, the building and come crashing to the ground. And praise the Lord, this morning we have the right architect. His name is Jesus Christ. We saw in the verse, I will build my church. He is the designer. He is the architect. He is the builder. And we look to him this morning. Abraham says, it says about Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11, for he looked for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. Whose builder and maker is God. There's no better architect for your life than the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no better designer for how your life should be than the Lord. Amen? That's why we should seek his will. We should seek his will because he is the designer. He is the maker. He is the builder. He is the all-knowing designer. He knows it all. He is able to do it all. And I want God to build my life, amen? And I know that you want God to build your life. So this morning, we're going to take a look at the architect, or who should be the architect, Jesus Christ. I want to see three aspects to God architecture, God's architecture that we need in our lives and in our church if we are to be edified. First of all, I see the person of edification. The person of of edification. Verse number 13 says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples. So here is Jesus. He's with his disciples, and he goes to the coast, the coastal city of Caesarea Philippi. And so he's there in the city, and he's with his disciples, and he asks his disciples an interesting question. He asks them the question, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He's asking, what are people saying about me? Who do they say that I am? It's an interesting question. Obviously, the disciples would have, you know, in, in serving the people and, and uh, running the errands necessary for the ministry and, and helping people as they gathered around and tried to reach Jesus Christ, would have heard some things, would have talked with some people and heard a number of different things. And maybe some of their family members would have even told them about some things that people are saying about, you know, their master, who they are following. And, and uh, a number of different of the disciples gave some different answers. Some said that thou art John the Baptist. John the Baptist was beheaded, as we know, by Herod. We know that he was beheaded. And, and as some people said, oh, maybe the spirit of John the Baptist. He's kind of John the Baptist 2.0. And others would say, oh, he's Elijah. He's just like Elijah. And, and others would say he's like Jeremiah. And there's a number of different prophets that maybe names were thrown out there. And you know, if you were to ask a number of different people today, who is Jesus? you would likewise get a, a great number of different answers. Some people would say that Jesus was a good man. Some would say that Jesus was a good teacher. Some would even say that he was a prophet. Some would say that he was just a myth and a legend, that he never even really existed. Some would say that he was just a man. But who is Jesus? I'm glad we get the answer in verse number 16. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. We know who Jesus is. We know who Jesus Christ is. 
We know that he is the Messiah. We know that he is the Savior. We know that he is the King. We know that he is the Lord. We know that he is God. We know that he knows all things. We know that he is more than just a teacher, though he had some great teachings. We know that he was more than a prophet, even though he did prophesy. We know that Jesus is God. He is the creator of the world. He is the sustainer. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the Word. He is Almighty. He is all-knowing. He is eternal. He is the Savior of the world. He is God. He is the Lord. And we need to begin with that premise that Jesus is not just an angel. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a man. He is God. And he came down as God in the flesh. And Peter, maybe by the revelation of God, as we see in verse number 17, he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. We know the answer. But I want to see also the individualization of the person. In verse number 15, Jesus asks a follow-up question. Follow-up questions are important. The first question was easy to answer. The second question is a little bit harder. The first question is, what do people say about me? What do people say about Jesus? The second question is, in verse 15, he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? The first question is, what do other people say about me? The next question is, what do you say about me? What do you say about Jesus Christ? Because there's a big difference between saying Jesus is the Savior and Jesus is my Savior. That's a big difference. I can intellectually understand that the Bible says that Jesus is the Savior of the world. I can read the Bible and know that and understand that. But is he your Savior? That's the question. What is or who is Jesus to you? There's a difference between Jesus is God and Jesus is my God. Jesus is the Lord and Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is King. He is my King. He's not just a great physician. He's my great physician. He's not just a comforter. He's my comforter. There's a big difference between what do other people say that I am and whom do ye say that I am. The question that I'd like to ask this morning is, what is your relationship with God? What is your relationship with Jesus? Is Jesus your God? Is Jesus your Savior? Is Jesus your comforter? Is Jesus your helper in time of need? Because that makes all the difference in the world. What's your relationship with God? He shouldn't just be, Jesus should not just be the God of my father, the God of my mother, my church's God, my life connection teacher's God. He needs to be your God this morning. He needs to be your savior this morning. Maybe your dad is saved, your mom is saved, your family members are saved, your friends are saved, your, your fellow church members are saved, but 
He needs to be your Savior today. If you're not saved today, He needs to be your Savior. You need to have a personal relationship with God. You need Jesus if you are going to be edified and built up. Thirdly, I see the indication of the person. In verse number 16, we see, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's another passage that it stated, Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's John chapter number 6. In John chapter number 6, verse number 66, it's after a number of teachings that Jesus has given to the people. In verse number 66, it says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. So you can imagine the way that the disciples are thinking. They're looking around. Obviously, we know about the 12 disciples, but there were a number of other disciples, right? There were other disciples that followed Jesus. We may not know their names. We may not know how many there were, but there were other disciples. And during this time, many of those disciples, not just fringe followers, not just people who were there to get what they could, to get fed, to get healed, and as soon as they got what they wanted, then they left and went away. No, these were disciples, people who followed the Lord people who were dedicated to the Lord, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Verse 67, then Jesus said unto the twelve, will you also go away? Because he knows that that's what everybody's thinking. Everybody's kind of leaving. Everybody's kind of going their own way. They're going back home. They're going back to their previous jobs. They're going back and doing different things. And Jesus says unto the twelve, will you also go away? Are you going to leave as well? I know that you've been seeing it. I know that you can feel it. Maybe the momentum is gone. Maybe that feeling is, is it's changed. But then in verse 68, then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? That's a great question. If you're not with the Lord, to whom will you go? In time of trouble, to whom will you go? When you have a need, to whom will you go? Peter says, Lord, to whom will we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. You know why we should stay with the Lord? Because only Jesus has the words of eternal life. Amen? Only he has words of eternal life. Verse 69, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. It's interesting because when somebody knows that Jesus is God and Jesus is their God, when somebody knows that Jesus is God, he will go forward when others go back. Peter was challenged, hey, you want to go? You can leave. Are you going to leave? And he says, why would we go? Where would we go? To whom would we follow? Jesus, you're the only one with eternal life. We know, we believe, and are sure that you are the son of the living God. Others may go back, but we're going to go forward. When, Jesus, when someone knows that Jesus is God, he will walk with God 
when others walk away. When someone knows Jesus is God, he will stay when others go. Because to whom will we go? Only Jesus has the words of eternal life. Only Jesus is the Son of the living God. Now that's not to say that we will be perfect. Peter made this statement, but we know what happened to Peter, right? We know that Peter denied the Lord three times, didn't he? We know that Peter, even after the resurrection, said, I go a-fishing, I'm going back. But we see in the book of Acts what happened. Peter was used greatly of God. He was edified, and he strengthened the brethren, and he preached the gospel, and thousands were saved. Acts chapter 9, verse number 6, is the, the passage where we see that Paul is confronted with Jesus, and he's, he's saved in this chapter, Acts chapter number 9. And he meets the Lord, and in verse number 6, And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. When Jesus is my God, when Jesus is my Lord, when Jesus is Lord, we will ask the right questions. And the right question is this, as Paul asked it here. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? If Jesus is Lord, every week we should come on Sunday morning and ask the question, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? Because if Jesus is God, if Jesus is my God, if Jesus is my Lord, then the right question is this, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You know, that's a great question to ask each and every day. Every day, wake up. God, what do you want me to do today? I have a plan for what I want to do today. I got my work schedule. I have my family time, or I have this thing, or I have that thing. But if God is Lord, we should always go to him and ask the right question. God, Lord, Jesus, Savior, what wilt thou have me to do? And when Jesus is Lord, we will go in the right direction. And the Lord answered... And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city. We always need to be going in the right direction. And when Jesus is Lord, we will hear the right instruction. In verse number six, Paul asked, or Saul at the time, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must a great question to ask is, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That's a great question to ask. And you know where a lot of the answers lie to that question? Right here. Lord, what do you want me to do? You'll find it in this book. God, I'm a husband. What am I supposed to do? You'll find the answers in this book. God, I'm a wife. What do you want me to do? I'm a child. What do you want me to do? I'm a parent. What do you want me to do? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a boss at my company. What do you want me to do? I'm an employee. What do you want me to do? I'm a church member. What do you want me to do? All of the questions that you might ask, search the scriptures and find the answer. Find out what God would have for you to do. 
When Jesus is Lord, we will hear the right instruction. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 20 says, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Jesus gave a command to his church. And the command was, teach them everything that I've commanded you. Teach them the word. That's why it's important that we get in his word. That you read your Bible. You need to read your Bible, amen? You need to read your Bible every day. Fewer amens. <laughs> we need to read our Bibles every day. Amen? We have access to his word every day. You know, opening up God's word every day is an acknowledgement of the question, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do today? That's why opening up your Bible is important. Because it says... Your heart is saying, I want to know what you want me to do. Lord, what do you want me to do? I know that I'm going to find some instruction in your word. We see the person of edification, that Jesus is God, and that he needs to be your God. We also see the proclamation of edification in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter... And upon this rock, I will build my church. We see the proclamation of the place. Where is Jesus going to build his church? He is going to build it upon this rock. What is this rock? Well, you can find out from the passage that we just read. Jesus started the passage by asking the question, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And then he asks the question, but whom do ye say that I am? And Peter answers the question that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon this rock, that Jesus is God, he is the Son of the living God, upon Jesus, upon himself, he will build his church. There's a saying in real estate that the three most important factors are location, location, location. The three most important factors of spiritual real estate is location, location, location. Are you building upon Jesus Christ? Are you building upon the rock that is Jesus Christ? Are you saved today? Are you saved this morning? Have you trusted in Christ as your Savior? Have you had your sins to be forgiven? Do you know that you're on your way to heaven? Have you been born again? Are you born into the family of God? That's the most important thing. And Jesus is the rock. You know, I was reading about something called beach nourishment. I don't know if they do that at some of the beaches here. I'm sure that they've done it to a certain extent. But there's something called beach nourishment, which is this. When, when uh, the, the waves come into the shoreline, there's always just a little bit of the beach that gets washed back into the ocean. Right? That just makes sense. Water just keeps on splashing onto the sand. A little bit's just going to keep on going back. So over time, the shoreline gets slowly eroded away. 
And in a big storm, you might have a lot of the shore to get washed away. And there's something called beach nourishment or re-nourishment, where they go find a bunch of sand and they dump it back onto the shore where it was before, or a bunch of dirt or land or something to fill out that section again. It's called beach nourishment because beaches are constantly losing to the shore. And you'll see these pictures of, of uh, really nice homes. Or they used to be really nice homes. You know, they were right on the shore. You could see out into the ocean. I mean, it's a great view. It looks great. But then you see them today, and they're toppled over. Nobody wants to buy them because they were built in the wrong place. You know, our church is not built on a man. It's not built on a man's idea. Our church is built upon Jesus Christ. It's built upon the Lord Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. I also see the proclamation of the promise. He says, upon this rock, I will build. Jesus promises to build. And the promises that Jesus makes, he always keeps. You ever have somebody not keep a promise? The most common one, I'm sure, is I will be there or I'll meet you there at this time. You ever, ever have somebody tell you that and then 10 minutes before, hey, really sorry, but, and you know what's coming next, right? You've had it happen in little things, in big things, maybe you had a promise that a parent made to you oh, I'm definitely going to do this for you, and then they didn't. You had a friend make a promise. You had a boss make a promise. Oh, definitely, when this situation comes, I'm going to give you a raise. I'm going to give you a promotion, but they didn't follow through with their promise. Maybe you've had some people make promises and break their promises. They couldn't keep them. They didn't keep them. But when God makes a promise, he always follows through. When he promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you, he keeps that promise. When the Lord promises, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, they shall be saved. When he promises, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. It's going to happen. You can be sure of the promises of God. As sure as one plus one is two, God's promises will happen. And that's why it's exciting to be a part of a church. It's exciting to be a part of a church because of the promise of God. Amen? God says, I will build my church. He's going to build his church. He's going to build this church. He's going to build our church. Amen? We want to be built up. Amen? We need to be built up. And Jesus promises that he will build his church. We also see the proclamation of the process. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. You know, God could have chosen to build anything, but he chose to build his church. In 1 Peter chapter number 2, I want to read to you a number of verses. 
In verse number one, it says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. That'd be a good thing, right? If all of us were able to leave aside all malice, all ill intent, guile, hypocrisies, no envies, no evil speakings, all of those things were gone, that'd be a great thing. Verse number two, as newborn babes. Well, how do we know if we're young and immature is if we have those characteristics? How do we grow out of those characteristics as newborn babes? Desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. You want to grow as a Christian? Get into God's word. You want to grow as a Christian? Get into God's word. We have access to God's word every day. I don't know the number of Bibles I have in my home. I have Bibles here in the office. I have Bibles at home. I have a Bible on my phone. I have a Bible on my computer. I have a Bible on my tablet. I have Bibles everywhere. You have Bibles everywhere. You have access to your Bible everywhere. You want to grow? Get into the Word. Read it. Study it. Meditate on it. Verse 3, if so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Verse number four, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Speaking of Jesus. Verse five, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. An holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So, the illustration that Peter is using here is one of a physical building. You build a building with different materials. You know, in the Old Testament, we saw the temple, and the temple had all sorts of descriptions as to how it was built, but the main construction materials, the building itself, if you will, was stone and wood, right? That was the main, there was obviously a lot of other ornaments and things like that, but that's the main construction materials. And if you think about taking those two materials, wood and stone, and being able to use them to build a building, what do you need to do? If you're going to take wood and build a building, you know, you see the buildings that just go up right up the street. There's a building that went up, a bunch of homes that were built, and you could see them. You could see the foundation that was laid, and you could see the, the framing that went up. The, the framing is made of wood. They take the wood, they take the tree, and they cut it down to make it fit so that they could have all of the pieces together. If you get a stone, a bunch of stone, a bunch of rock to build a house, what do they do? They cut the rock into blocks. They take those blocks and they build them together. You know, if we're going to be built up as a church, you know what God is going to have to do to us lively stones? He's going to have to mold us together. He's going to have to do some work on us. We're going to have some rough edges that need to be sanded down, so to be chopped off. Some pieces that need to be broken away. God might need to work on us just a little bit so that we could be builded together. You know how God builds his church? He builds his church through believers. And he uses believers by working on them. Has been God been working in your life today? Is God working on you? That's a good thing. 
You say, oh, it's uncomfortable. God's working on me to get rid of this pride, to get rid of this anger, to get rid of this envy, to get rid of this complaining spirit, to get rid of this uh, uh, the fulfillment of uh, the lust of the flesh. God might have some things that he needs to shave off and get rid of so that he could build his church. You know, God wants to build his church. And he does it by working on his people. It's been God been working in your life, and that's a good thing. Because then you know God wants to use you. God wants you to be a part of a great thing, to be building his church. Thirdly, I see the prevailing from edification. Verse number 18, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What Jesus builds prevails. What Jesus builds wins. Now, if I'm the one that builds it, it's not going to win. If I'm the one building the church, it's not going to win. If you're the one building it, it's not going to win. But if Jesus builds his church, his church will prevail. Jesus needs to be one to build the church. And we are evidence today that what Jesus builds prevails. Because since the beginning of the church, Satan has been trying to destroy it, and he has failed. He hasn't been able to take it down. I mean, you even see in the, in, in the New Testament, you see in the book of Acts, the persecution against the church. You see that Stephen, he was killed for the faith. You see that James, Peter, James, and John, James, he was killed for the faith. They were attacking the church and Saul. He persecuted the church and he tried to get it to be destroyed and to quell it and to get rid of it. But it grew. And his church, and Jesus' church would spread and different churches would come up all over the place. And when you read about the apostles, they would go and they preach the gospel and, and they, they started churches and they disciple people. And you, you read about them, you see the persecution that they went through. That others were trying to take them down, trying to take down the church. Matthew, he was killed in Ethiopia. It's written that Mark, he was dragged through the streets until he had died. Luke was hanged. Peter and Simeon both were crucified. Andrew, he was tied to a cross. James was killed. Philip, he was crucified and stoned. Bartholomew is written he was flayed alive. Thomas was pierced through with a spear. James was thrown from the temple and beaten to death. Jude was shot through with arrows. Paul was beheaded. And still the church continued. Evidence of the power of God. You know, I was reading about the Lollards. They were followers of, uh, of Wycliffe. And I was reading about the persecution that they had faced, the followers of Jesus, subjected to extreme measures of persecution we read that they were hunted down, they were imprisoned, and they were tortured throughout England. It says that they were variously branded on the cheek. They were branded on the cheek as lawlers and made to wear a green cloth on their sleeve as a mark of their disgrace. 
others were compelled to make arduous pilgrimages, and in others they were forced to work at a monastery and never allowed to leave. I mean, all sorts of different things, pressures placed upon them. People were burned and killed at the stake. Terrible things done to try to quell, to destroy, get rid of the church. But still it continued on. Amen? It still continued on. You know, the church of Jesus is not like other religions that that have political power, and that's how they, they maintain their presence. And they don't conquer by violence. They don't do all of these things. But still the church lives on today. The church prevails. The church wins. Amen? You know, if we're going to be a church that prevails, we need Jesus to continue to build in our church. We need Jesus to continue to work in the lives of believers. Each and every one of us needs to grow. Amen? Each and every one of us needs to grow. We need to grow. We need to get into our word and grow as believers. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. God wants to build his church. And I think every single one of you would say, I would love for my church to grow. Amen? Every single one of you. I want Bible Baptist Church to grow. How is God going to get Bible Baptist Church to grow? By working on his people. By working on the lively stones. By working in their hearts and working in their lives and, and uh, building them up. And building up the church. Hey, let's get into the word. Amen? Let's get into the word. Amen? Let's get into the word and read it and grow it apply it. Let's make sure that God is not just the God of my father, the God of my mother, the God of my church, the God of the Bible, but he's my God. He is my Lord. He is my master. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Because I want my church to grow. And I want God to do something great in Bible Baptist Church. You know, when Jesus is the builder and the maker, it wins. Let's grow as individual believers. Let's allow God to work in our lives so that the church would grow. Let's pray.